Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Continue our series, if you would take your Bibles, please. And we're going to be referencing a couple of different scriptures today. Of course, the first one is Mark chapter 12, as we look at the Great Commandment. And then we're going to be going to Romans chapter 12. So 12, 12th man, hey, you know, so here we go. Um, we're in this new series, Start Here, and as we've uh, dove into it, this has been, you know, every sermon, every teaching that I bring, the first place that I apply it is with me. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm a very personal <laughs> kind, of, kind of pastor from the standpoint of I, pre- I, I preach from, speak from, teach from things that, that are impacting my life. That's how God speaks through me and, and speaks to me. And this is something that's really been nourishing to my soul and just my private time with the Lord going through and, and just really diving into this great commandment. In the, in the first week, we, we talked about the heart, right? The heart, that will emotional center of us. And, and that it's the CEO, it's the executive center for who we are, every human being in the world. This is the CEO and the lights just came on, praise the Lord. Um, and then in week two, we talked about the soul and last week we talked about how the soul, it integrates every part of us. It integrates, you know, the heart, you know, the mind, you know, the body, everything into this single life. It's that soul, that part was made to live forever. The body doesn't last forever. We're talking about that next week. But the soul is the part of us that lives forever, that God made, uh, made by him, made for him, and made to be dependent, excuse me, on him. This week we're talking about the mind, how important the mind is. So let's go back to our scripture again. This is a great commandment. Can we read this together? It's going to come up on the screen. Mark chapter 12. Let's read that together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And this week, as we focus on the mind part, worshiping the Lord our God with all of our mind, of course, my mind immediately goes to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Let's read this together. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In another transition, it talks about by the transforming of your mind, the transforming of your mind. Now, as we dive into this today, talking about the mind, the mind is we could spend all year talking about the mind and still not talk about it at all. But today as we dive in, I'm going to dive in by addressing several key questions. When I approach God's Word, it helps me in my study just to ask some key questions, right? It's about asking the right questions, and I encourage you to do the same. We need to be people that are inquisitive. We need to be people that we're not afraid to ask questions, and especially with God, God encourages us to ask questions. So the first question that we're going to start off with this morning is that question, why are thoughts so important? Why are thoughts so important? Well, thoughts are so important because the heart is the CEO, but the ideas for the CEO, they come from the mind. Every good CEO, every good boss or leader, they will always pull from their team, won't they? 
right? If, if, if a CEO is just someone who walks in a room and they just dictate orders and there's no connection to the rest of the team, that's not a great company to invest in because the end is near. Because great teams grow, build great organizations and build great leaders. And so as it relates to us, the CEO is very important, but the ideas are generated from the mind. And even as it relates to our physical bodies, we need our mind and we need our heart, don't we? If either of these stop working, we're in trouble. If either of these stop working, we're in trouble. And this is true uh, physically, but it's also true spiritually, that both are essential and both are needed. See, the mind is especially important, though, because this is where we have the greatest freedom. The mind is where we have the greatest freedom because we have the power to select what we will think about. Now, some of you may be looking at that and go, well, that, that sounds good, Dwayne, but that's easier said than done, isn't it? <laughs> I think even during COVID, we've seen the challenge of controlling the mind over what the mind thinks. So it's easier said than done, but it can be done. It can be done. Some of the most heavily persecuted people throughout the history of the world, and even today, today they'll, they'll talk about how they have found freedom and how they have found ultimate survival as they took charge of their mind, and for the believer, as they took charge of their mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we look back through history, and during this COVID time, I've had people who said, I've never watched so many documentaries in my life. <laughs> how many of you are like, there's nothing left on Netflix for me to see, Right? And uh, there's a lot on there that I wish I didn't see <laughs> at times. But as it relates to, relates to our mind, we have that power. And it's, it's amazing to go back through, if you look at Holocaust survivors who survived and they made it through, they often talk about how in their mind they were able to go to a different place. That though they were surrounded by pain and by torture and so many things, you'd even hear accounts about how they would talk to their children and say, you know, you, you can go to a different place. This is not forever. And, and they would take charge of their thoughts through that. Even wilderness and survival experts, they'll tell you that the mind is the most important thing as it relates to making it. You know, I remember back in 2010, I was fortunate to be a part of, of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and as part of Water Wells for Africa and raised over $25,000 for, well, uh, for building wells in some of the driest, remotest places of Africa, all for the glory of God, all, all to share the, the gospel and to bring clean drinking water to people. But I remember my guide, my guide who was there, and he, he flew out from Patagonia, and he would talk about, he was looking at everybody, very diverse, diverse group. We had people that were teenagers all the way up to in their 70s, very different backgrounds. Some were, this was the first time for them, and some of them, they'd done it many times. And he looked at them and said, all of you have everything that you need to climb this mountain. And he said, even though you're at very diverse places physically, he said, it's all in the mind. He said, what's going to make the difference for many of you between making it and not making it is the mind. Because when we're under stress, our bodies and our emotions start to break down. Stress does that to us. But this is where mental strength kicks in in order to put a plan into action. This is often the make it or the break it moment. This is when the mind either says, yes, there's no hope, Obi-Wan. There's no hope for you, right? Or it looks to you and says, you can make it. You can do this. That was a Star Wars reference. I thought it would get greater revenants. So this is when it steps up. And I remember I would try to, as a large group, many churches, many organizations, many humanitarian organizations, but anytime I saw, saw the guide free, I, I try to kind of get up next to him. And I remember him looking out, and he looked over at this young guy in his 20s that was just, I mean, he epitomized fitness. And he looked over and said, see that guy over there? He said, he's not going to make it. <laughs> 
I said, what do you think of me then? He said, he's not going to make it. He said, he's not using his mind right now. He's not doing the things that I told him. He's not taking the steps, and he's not going to make it because he's so emotional. His mind's not in check. And I was like, you're kidding me. And I remember on summit day, when we got to summit, we woke up at midnight, and we started going up. My headlamp came up, and I saw this very fit person being taken down by two porters and he looked like he was intoxicated. And what had happened, he hadn't paid any attention. He hadn't followed the guide. And his mind began to overcome with altitude sickness because he hadn't embraced the principle of pole pole, which is Swahili for slow, slow, slow. And his mind was not able to overcome it. See, the mind enables us in that moment to think things through. The, the mind is the thing that tells us that, how, that, no, you can do this, you can get through. You need to build a fire, you need to press on, you need to get water, you need to rest here, you need to press on here. The mind is what enables people to survive or not survive. It is often our mental attitude or our mental strength that will decide the outcome, the outcome. But as it relates to the mind, it's important to know that the mind, it doesn't only protect us but the mind is also where ideas begin, and ideas are powerful, aren't they? Ideas are powerful. See, the things that influence our lives and the world that we are in, they all began as an idea. They all began as an idea. You know, in his address to Harvard University back in 1943, in the middle of the World War II, Winston Churchill said this. He said, the empires of the future will be empires of the mind. The empires of the future will be empires of the mind. I love what Oxford theologian Alistair McGrath, reflecting on this address, he noted that Churchill's point was that a great transition was taking place in the Western culture with immense implications for all who live in it. And here's what he said, reflecting on those words. He said, the powers of the new world would not be nation states as with empires past, but ideologies. It would now be ideas, not nations, that would captivate and conquer in the future. And then he said this. He said, the starting point for the conquest of the world would now be the human mind. Think about that. Does that resonate with you today? See, ideas, they shape us and they interpret what we see. You don't have to change reality. You just need to change the perception of reality. People in the medical field, they do this all the time where there will be people that will come in that are filled with fear. And when they look at them and they, and they analyze them and they do all the tests, they'll say, physically, you're fine. But there's a reality of fear that's coming in that's causing you to feel these things. That's very real, but it's not connected to your physical reality. And that manifests itself in so many ways. See, we love the idea of freedom and the freedom of thought, but our thoughts are being shaped every day by competing forces that fight for an audience over your mind. I mean, we see this, every, every advertiser, everyone that's out there, they are fighting for your mind because they know if they can control your mind from a business standpoint, there's a monetary value attached to it. As we look at education, you know, education used to be about informing and would be careful not to step over the bounds of parents, right? It was about bringing facts and being very factual to educate. 
But now education sees itself awesome as has even stated that it sees itself as the better parent and has even worked in some cases to remove the parent as it relates to parental permission and authority in areas of sexuality and spirituality. Public education, sadly, has become increasingly hostile towards Christianity, working to often silence and condemn students and teachers for their beliefs in God. Now, before you go on, I want to say my bachelor's degree is an education degree. I believe in education. I've taught in schools before. I've, I have so many friends. We have so many teachers here, and I applaud you, and our schools need you. But the more that I talk to teachers, the more that I talk to students, we've experienced a lot of this stuff firsthand that it becomes an increasingly hostile place for those who share their Christian views. And I could say a lot more about that. But again, we need education. We, I'm so glad for all of, our, all of our teachers that are here that invest. But I've heard stories of teachers that they've, they've, Christian teachers have huddled together because they felt their jobs were on the line because of the way that they believed. We see this war going on in entertainment. Entertainment has moved into this role as well. You know, the arts are powerful. They're often used as a tool, sadly, to control the mind and the hearts. Now, I, again, I come from 25 years background in arts and worship in churches. I've worked with a lot of artists, both Christian and non-Christian alike. And often the quickest distance to the heart is through the song, is through the arts, where a piece and work of art can just change you and can just communicate so much about God. But this power is often used to lead us away from God. Sadly, there are so many people that they get their thoughts about God from entertainment. Entertainment is a terrible source, isn't it? When people talk about religion or Christianity, the sources that they point to are politics and movies. And I would just say, you know what, yeah, I've, I have a Netflix account. <laughs> I've seen, you know, I'm not saying all movies are bad. I'm saying but we have to be careful because the power of the arts can change us. When we look at the news, you know, news used to pride itself on journalism. My wife is a communication major. She's, she has a background in communication. She's done that. And when I talked about journalism, journalism would often talk about primary sources, get down to the roots of the matter. And you would hear anchor men and women from, from decades past, they would, they would work very hard just to bring the truth and to bring it in an unbiased way. And when you research it, you, 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 you see them talking about how there was one that, that would famously say at the very end, he said, now... Here's the truth, now you decide. You know, op-ed pieces, commentaries used to be at the back of the newspaper, now they're, they're filling the front of the newspaper. It is so hard to know what truth is. To where even people who fight for journalism within the industry will say journalism is long gone. Editorials and opinion pieces will reign. That's why according to Pew Research, most people now view the news as social agenda pieces that lack care for truth, all news. I think one of the biggest challenges during COVID, have you ever struggled to find the truth? Because you, you can find whatever you want. You can research and get whatever you want. I've talked to doctors with conflicting opinions. I've talked to scientists with conflicting opinions. Uh, of course, uh, newscasters have conflicted themselves multiple times. We've, we, we've seen national health leaders conflict themselves at times on just so many things to where you're looking at it and go, where is truth? How can we find that? And as it relates to the body of Christ, 
we often find that those who don't give in to this battle, this, this battle for the mind and just leaning in, they're often seen as enemies or even dangerous. You know, that's why Christians around the world today, and even here in America, they're often criticized and persecuted, not because of what they do, because as it relates to humanitarian efforts, Christians are at the front lines fighting, fighting oftentimes at great cost to themselves, great cost to themselves financially, great cost to themselves uh, uh, physically, and in so many ways, the body of Christ is present, even here in Seattle, that the majority of the beds and the food and the things that are given out are given by faith-based organization, men and women that are serving the Lord and, that they are at, and because they are followers of Christ, that their, their following Christ has led them to this and we financially support them through our missions giving. So many. But even though they're so active, many of these same organizations have come under attack because of what they think. And here's why, because when those Christian ideas become a threat to the idea system of others, Christians are attacked and demonized for what they believe. There are organizations right now that they're in the midst of it. They're in the midst of legal attack. They're in the midst of being pushed out of cities, and there, there are so many accounts, and I started to put a lot of these accounts in my notes, but I could spend the whole time just talking about it. Account after account, active account, documented because what we believe is the power of what we believe. The ideas that we have are powerful, are powerful. Again, just a reminder, there's a, such a battle for the mind because our mind has the ability to create realities that may or may not be accurate. If someone can win the mind, they can win the person. We see this in so many ways in relationships you know, I remember even in our premarital counseling, you know, our premarital counseling, it'll, Stephanie and I will celebrate uh, 30 years this coming spring. All glory to God, and thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> right? But I remember what our premarital counseling, you know, uh, an amazing, uh, amazing doctor. Just, um, she was, yeah, just powerful. She came in, and she put down something on the table, she put down, like, I think this, like, this coffee cup. And, and then she put down this glass filled with water, and she had us over here. And she looked at us, and she said, you know, Dwayne, when you look at this coffee cup, it's like looking through the glass of water. You have a perspective on it. You're looking through a lens on it. And that lens is filled with all your experiences, you know, your, uh, your mom and dad's marriage, your, um, all, you know, your past dating relationships. All this stuff is poured into that lens and filters it. And she said, Stephanie, same for you. You have a lens that you go through. And so you're going to see this cup very different, she said, but no matter how you see it, that doesn't change what this cup is. This is a coffee cup. And you may have different perspectives, different angles, but no matter what you see or what you perceive, nothing changes the truth of what that is. She said that one of your biggest challenges in marriage, in this relationship, is to be to get to the truth of the reality of what that is. That as long as you fight for your perspectives, it can distort the view of the reality that's out there. She said, that's going to be one of the biggest battles. How many married people? You're like, yep. <laughs> right? It is, isn't it? And it was great advice. And some of our biggest fights, we've had fights before, right? Yeah. 
some of our biggest fights have been getting to the reality. Because I say it's this way, and she says, no, it's this way, and no, it's this way. And sometimes she was right, sometimes I was right, and there were sometimes that neither of us were right. And we had people in our life that would come and say, here's the reality. Here's where you need to get to. This is the battle of the mind. That's why it says in Proverbs 23, it says, as a person thinks, so they are. You know, we can chase a reality that we've created in our mind has been created by others, only to find out it's not even true. This is why the mind is so important. So before we kind of blow by this today, just a question to ask yourself and a question I encourage you to take, and these are all in our Church Center app. There's a, in the middle of the Church Center app, there's a little thing that says Sunday morning, and it has the notes and it has these questions. But ask yourself this week or in this moment, what are some of the greatest challenges you face as it relates to the battle for the mind? Like, what are those areas where it's like, boy, I've, I feel the battle here, right? Like, for some people, they'll turn off social media for a while. For some, they're like, I'm turning it off forever because <laughs> I'm losing the battle there. I know people, they've turned off TV. I know some people, they've moved from a smartphone to what they call a dumb phone. It has none of stuff on it because it's like, it's competing for my mind. I'm losing the battle here. For some, it's, it's relationships. For some... It's all of it. Now, the goal is not to shut everything down and be, be, be become a hobbit in the hole, right? That's, you'll have other problems. But ask yourself, what, where are some of the greatest challenges that I'm facing right now as it relates to the battle of my mind? Where is that, where's that happening? Take that with you this week. So for all these reasons and many more, the mind and the health of our mind is so important. So I want to just take a moment to look at and just identify the condition of our mind. So what is the condition of our mind? You know, when I've talked to a lot of people, and I've asked this question a lot, and, and, just, and even, just, even just my own life and going through, when I, when I think about my life and other people's lives that I've talked to, and I've asked the question, what's the condition of the mind? you know the, the number one answer? Number one answer on the board, Johnny, tired. Most people say, as it relates to my mind, my mind's tired. Anybody resonate with that? You're just like, I'm just tired of everything. These past two years, the amount of decision fatigue, I mean, even like when it first came in, when COVID came in, and we talked about social lockdowns, I remember like watching the governor and the governor of our state and so many just, uh, just around our, our nation saying, you know what, we can muscle this for two weeks. We want everyone to stay home for two weeks. We want you to wear a mask for two weeks, and then we're going to be okay, and we're going, oh my goodness, can I make it for two weeks of doing this? Remember that? Two weeks seemed like, oh. That's going to be terrible, but you know what? We can do it. Well, two weeks turned into two months, and now we're two years on the road. I thought we'd be done by now, you know? Tried to be careful, tried to do everything, all these things, and we're, we're still here. The amount of pivoting, the amount of change that we've had to do as a church, the amount of change we've had to do as a family, the amount of change that we've had to walk through and pivoting, and even in pivoting, we could never land there and go, well, this is it, because we know at any minute things could change. Even relationship-wise, as we're going through, there were people that have lost relationships through this. And so through all this change, you're doing this, you're like, well, how that's gonna, how's that going to affect my relationships? Are they still going to like me? Are they still going to be my friend? And if we feel different on this shoe, are they going to like me? If I, we feel different on this issue, can we, you know, why can't we be friends? Can we just come together? You know, can we just work this out? And sadly, in a lot of situations, we've not been able to. And as it relates to the mind, this is exhausting. This is exhausting. And beyond all the physical dangers, so many have suffered mentally from this pandemic. You know, isolation. If you're suffering mentally, that, that's one of the worst things that you can do. 
you know, decision fatigue that we talked about. We talked about the relationships. And a lot of times it feels like, you know, I grew up in the, you know, the great white north, right? And, and, and so I, I remember I couldn't wait for the ponds to freeze over because I loved, I love pond hockey. I love being on the ice. You know, people around here, when it rains and gets cold, they tend to stay inside. We were just outside all the time because we'd never go outside if we let that affect us. So we were always out doing stuff. But when, when you're walking on solid ground, firma, right, you're just... You, you walk very different than when you're testing ice out. If anyone ever walked on ice, right, you're going, is this safe? Can I go there? If I behave the same way on solid ground and on the ice, I'd have a very different experience because I've been prone to fall through. I've been prone to get in trouble. I've been prone to needing to be hauled out. I've been prone to daring my friends to do things that threaten their lives. I didn't know about it at the time. Sorry if you're listening. Right? Because you need to walk very different. Because you're like, is this safe? Is this going to break off? And that's, that's how it's felt, I think, for so many of us. I know it's felt that way for me. Is this stable? And again, the amount of stress and anxiety that that places on the mind, even when you have all these structures in place, is very difficult. When a lot of those other structures have been taken away, my goodness. Because the mind can break just like my elbow broke. <laughs> the mind can break. That's why mental illness is now the number one health problem in the world. Number one health problem in the world is mental illness. It causes more death than cancer each year, and it ranks as the leading cause of disability. One out of nine people are on some type of depression-treating medication, and one out of five people have been at some point, and there's no shame for that. I, I took painkillers from my elbow, so there's no shame in that. It's just a reality, and it's, it's just it's a sign of where we're hurting. Over the past decade, antidepressant use, this is, this, this is even before COVID, okay? But over the past decade, antidepressant use has gone up over 300% and continues to increase, and COVID as they're trying to get data and information on that, is it continues to rise. And I bring this up because as a church, it's so important that we talk about the things that are on our mind, the things that are, that are essential to us. And this, this includes our church community as well as our world. And I love what Pastor Chris Hodges, Pastor Chris Hodges pastors Church of the Highlands in, in Alabama, uh, and just a church of over 60,000 people, multi-site, sites around the world. Uh, they've in how they serve their community through feeding, through education, through housing programs, through so many ways, funding public school projects. They've been there, but, but he said this because he's someone that has had two significant episodes in his life as it relates to depression. He said, as it relates to depression and anxiety, it is so important that we normalize it, meaning that we don't make it something to be ashamed of. Can I say amen to that? Can we say amen to that? We don't need to be ashamed of it. I had no shame in telling you I broke my elbow. I was like, please pray for me. <laughs> I can't kayak anymore. <laughs> we need to be a place where no matter what we're feeling, no matter what we're going through, that we can go through it together. You, me, and Jesus. And to do that, we need to be able to talk about it. We need to be able to talk about it. In every area of our life, we need to talk about it. When you look at the heroes of the Bible, so many of the great men and women, they struggled with this. They struggled with this. They, they found themselves in a cave, and, and God would meet them there in the cave. 
And I just want to say as your pastor today, and, and, and I believe I speak for this entire community, whatever you're going through, man, we love you. I love you. And we are committed to walking with you through this. There's no question you should feel, afraid, feel ashamed to ask, and there's, there's nothing that you should feel ashamed to confess. That's where the enemy will attack you. As we talk about the mind, that's one of the big areas that he will attack and say, you know, you can't share that. You can't say that. We have a prayer service tonight, first Sunday night of every month from 6 to 7 o'clock. If you want to experience an extended time of prayer with the community, boy, be here. We're going to give thanks to the Lord. We're going to worship, and we're going to just pray together. I'd love to see you here. We need it. And again, just to reiterate, uh, taking medicine does not mean that I do not trust Jesus. I've had several come up at times, and they're like, you know, do I need to stop taking medicine? It's just not, you know, is that showing a lack of faith? And, I, and again, I'm like, you know, things break. The times that I've been with the doctor, and the doctor said, do you want some pain medicine? I, I, you know, maybe I'm a bad pastor. I've never gone, nope, I'm going to test my faith right now. I'm going, yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Now, all that can get out of whack, right? You know what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying go out and find drug dealers on the corner, right? I'm just saying we need to take away the shame from it. We need to be with doctors that we trust. God gifts so many doctors and psychologists and therapists and so many things. And there's so many things we don't understand. And all those things can get out of whack. There are people that get hooked on painkillers because they broke an elbow, right? Or they broke a, broke a leg. What I'm saying is that there's, don't let that be an area of shame for you. And pray. God, help me, heal me, strengthen me. Help me to, to get through this and to find healing and restoration through this. Amen. Amen. So our minds are tired, but another big thing that I want to just address is, is that often we are unaware. See, sometimes it's deliberate, but so many times we are unaware that we're often unaware of the battle that we're in. And you know, I, I can't get through a Sunday sermon without talking with Dallas Willard about this. Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, it is extremely difficult for most people to recognize which ideas are governing their life and how those ideas are governing their life. And by people, that's us, all of us, right? It is extremely difficult for most of us to recognize which ideas are governing our life and how those ideas are governing their life. He goes on to say, he said, this is partly because one commonly identifies his or her own governing ideas with reality, pure and simple. Ironically, he says, it is often people who think of themselves as practical or as people of action, both, both of course, major ideas, who are the most in, in the grip of ideas, so far in that grip that they can't be bothered to think. They simply don't know what moves them, but ideas govern them and have their consequences anyway. Sometimes we are unaware. I mean, David even prayed, Lord, re reveal to me my unknown sin. Because sometimes, have you, have you ever done something and went, why did I do that? Why did I respond that way? Why, why did I say that? What's, what's governing? Or, or like someone's asked you a question and something has come out, and you're like, I don't really believe that. And when we look at Scripture, we see that rejecting God actually causes our minds to be darkened and confused. See, the more that we reject God, because who is God? He's our maker. 
He's the God of heaven and earth, of everything. He shows us the way. He laid things out. In so many areas of our life, we want to go to the manual. We want to go to the source of things and say, how can I do this well? How can I live right? How can I operate in the way that's going to make this effective and successful? But when it comes to our life, we often reject God, the one who made us, the one who loves us, the one who gave his life, gave his only son for us, but yet we reject it. And we were made by him, for him, to be dependent on him. And that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. That's how we find success. So when we reject that, it causes our minds to be darkened and to be confused. Because we're rejecting how we were made. How we were made. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 25. He says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Paul goes on to say, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24 says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. When we reject God, we're going down a dark path. If you go into a new area and you reject your compass and you reject your map... If you're with a doctor that has rejected all of their medical training, you'd just say, I'm going to put my clothes back on and walk out right now. We see that in other areas, but as it relates to the thing, our soul, our life, the part of us that lives forever, all the more so. Unless you think that, oh, you know, I could never be unaware. I could never be fooled. I could never be there. Well, I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul was fooled. The Apostle Paul was fooled. He had, before his conversion to Jesus, he had wrong ideas. He was convinced that he was doing the right thing for God by persecuting Christians and by, by having them arrested and even killing them. He thought he was doing the right thing. He devoted his whole life to it. He thought, this is what God has for me. In Acts 9, it says that Paul was uttering threat with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Convinced. See, it wasn't until Jesus showed up in his life and put a light on him and said, what are you doing? He was shocked. He recognized him as Lord, but he was shocked in that moment. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't consider myself to be a better person than Paul was. (laughs) The Apostle Paul. We need to be aware that we can be unaware. (laughs) by laying our life before God. Because we can be just as easily fooled. So what's the key to transformation as we wrap this up today? Right? We talked about why it's so important. We talked about kind of where we are, that we're often tired, and we can often be unaware. So how are we transformed? Well, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Romans 12, verse 1, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't copy the behavior and the customs. And, you know, a big word that came up 
It started in the early days of my ministry, and then it continued, and it really came up in the early 2000s was this word relevant, right? That we need to be relevant. And I get the whole relevant argument, because yes, we need to find ways to connect. When Jesus was talking to fishermen, he used fishing analogies. When he talked to farmers, he used farming analogies. I mean, he's, you know, he, he, he was speaking the language, but we need to be careful that we don't become like the culture, because we can become so relevant that we become spiritually irrelevant. And it's happened. That's when we get off of theology. We pull away from the word and we start allowing relationships in our culture to guide our theology instead of a relationship with God. Now, the evidence of God in our life is that we love our neighbor, but it is anchored in God because the only hope for me and the only hope for my neighbor is a connection to God. That's non-coerced, that's non-manipulated, that's not fear-based. It's the truth. It's digging into the truth of God, of who he is. So let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So how do we do this? Well, first of all, you need to admit where you are. I need to admit, where am I today? See, confession is good for the soul and it's essential to health in every area of our lives. And we talked about that and we laid out some steps in last week's message about what confession looks like and how we do it. And sometimes we fall victim to the whole thing if you know, well, confession is good for the soul, but it's bad for the reputation. <laughs> right? How many here were born into sin? I was. <laughs> and there's lots of evidence in my little town of that, okay, that I grew up in. We were all born into sin. That's how we enter. And the first step to transformation is admit who we are. The second part of that is surrender to God. you got to let go of the wheel. God doesn't share the wheel with us. Why should he? Have you ever gone to a pilot flying a plane and saying, hey, can I fly this for a while right now? Who would want to be on that plane? We trust him. We lean into him. We say, yes, you are God. God doesn't share with us. He gives everything for us. He's given us overwhelming evidence for his existence, who he is, and how to follow him. But we need to surrender to God. It's how we come to him in faith, in becoming a follower of Christ, is surrender. But surrender is a daily, moment-by-moment act for believers. How many of you found that your surrender to God just didn't happen once when you, when you gave your life to Jesus, right? It is an ongoing act of surrender and a decision in the mind to say, I will surrender in this moment. This is where we struggle. But never forget, God's not a consultant. He's king. (laughs) And sometimes we reach out to him as a consultant or we reach out to him as an ATM or just an online banker when we need it and we go and we see him and then we go off and do it ourselves. That's That's not how it works. That would be dysfunctional. It would be a tragedy for God to allow us to live that way because it's setting us up for failure. So he's not a consultant, he's king. And then admit where I am, surrender to God. And then that third part is replacement. Replacement. See, transformation is about replacing our mind with what 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, with the mind of Christ. See, it's not just about removing the parts that are broken, but you know, those thoughts that are destructive, it is about replacing it with the mind of Christ. See, our broken idea systems 
need to be replaced. And when we try to just add a new part to a broken part, does that work? You can add a brand new wheel to a broken axle all day. You're you're not going to go anywhere. It is not going to work. It is a transformative work in our life. This is why we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, hey, think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind, that leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind, it leads to life and peace. Those are the two options. Death, right? Right? by allowing that sinful nature, by keeping control of the wheel, by continuing to reject God and go over darkness. I think we're confused because, you know, the Bible even says that in the moment, sin has its own pleasure, right? Because we're, we're, we're feeding the flesh, and the flesh is saying, yeah, next week. But ultimately, it destroys us. That's why the, the word of the Lord is very clear. It's a transformative work. It's, it's taking away those destructive systems and it's replacing it because if you just kind of take it away, then you're just empty. And we are living vacuums, aren't we? <laughs> we're, we're like those vacuums that just sucks everything in around us. So it's not about just being empty, being empty-headed. It's not a blind faith. God didn't take, away our, he didn't take away our minds and make us robots. He fills it. He fills it. And this comes into the last thing that we talked about today, which is guarding your mind. See, the things that we value, you guard. Right? That's why you keep your money in banks. <laughs> That's why you watch over your family and your children. I have smoke detectors in my house. I have carbon monoxide detectors in my house. I even woke up at 4 o'clock this morning and went to my dog because I didn't want him to pee in his crate. Because <laughs> I value my time in the morning. So how do we guard our mind? Well, there's two key practices, and both are essential. There's a key practice of, of keeping things out, guarding things, but there's also the practice of guarding your mind by putting it in. So keeping out, David said this in Psalms 101. He said, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar, right? He's like, I'm keeping it out. I will refuse to look at it. Proverbs 4 says, avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Stay away from, stay away from even the appearance of evil. There's a guarding that's going on because everything that we look at, everything that we say and do, it affects us. So stay away from it. And in Job, Job 31 even says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. I remember talking to my boys about this. Boys, we're making a covenant with our eyes, right? We're going to guard what we look at. And I'm always sad when I hear about Christ's followers saying, oh, it's okay to do this. Oh, it's okay to do that. Everything you look at, everything you see affects you. Now, there's accidental things, right? There's billboards and there's things that flash up. And those things are going to happen. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted. But when we in our mind start saying yes, right? That's when sin gives birth. But something flashes up in front of you, that's when by the power of God you got to go stay out. No way. I'm not going there. 
And part of keeping it out is also then by saying, when I say yes, then going to somebody confessing and going, I said yes to something today. Please help me. It's going to happen. How many, since you've been, you've been a follower of Christ, how many of us have said yes to things that we shouldn't have and we've had to ask God forgiveness, right? All of us, right? I got hurts, I got habits, I got hang-ups. That's why I love Celebrate Recovery. Right, Robert? Yes. <laughs> and I'm praying for leaders so we can have it here again. Right? Because we all need it. We're all celebrating recovery, and it's an ongoing process. And part of that is guarding. But the other part of it, too, it's not just about pulling it out, right? Because I remember when I was a kid, they were just saying, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. You're like, I'm trying, Daddy, I'm trying. <laughs> but it's hard, right? It's not just about stopping. It's about replacing it and putting it in with those good practices because we're a vacuum. It's no good for me to say, candy is bad for me, I should stop having candy, but I, every time I go to the store, I'm bringing candy in the house, and that's not just, a, that's a real thing for me. <laughs> I have a sweet tooth, I just had a cavity filled, and I go in and say, oh, help me. <laughs> right. It's keeping it out, but what we put in, because the best defense is a great offense. The Seahawks have no hope unless they have a great offense, unless they have a great offensive line. The Kraken analogies will come. That's the hockey team, by the way. <laughs> but it's what's putting in. Second Timothy, it says, study to show thyself approved. You need to work hard at developing your mind. You need to pour things in. First Peter 3.15, it says, always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you, why do you have hope? It's not blind faith. God has given us so much, so much. See, historically, some of the greatest thinkers have been Christ followers. They've been people who believed in God. The more that they studied, the more that they saw evidence of God. See, there's a lie out there that says Christianity and silence are incompatible. They're not. God made it. Science is the observation, is, is, is observing the, what's happening on in our world. We're observing things that God made. How could it be incompatible? I mean, look at all of these great People that have gone before us, I mean, Galileo, Blaise Pascal, Nicholas Copernicus, Isaac Newton, Francis Collins, and so many more. I mean, go look it up. Just Google Christian scientists, great Christian thinkers, and there is an exhaustive list that will blow your mind with a description of what they've done, how they pushed it forward. We're called to fill our mind. We're called to that apologetics, that apologia, that ready to give a reason for why you believe it. It's not blind. Now, there are things we don't understand. There are things science doesn't understand. Science doesn't answer everything. There's the arts, there's the feelings, there's the heart. Science is important, but it's just one part. It's just one part. We need to be studies of the world. We need to be encouraging the arts and artists. We need to be filling our mind with God's word, Right? Your word I've hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. you got to fill it up with God's word. The psalmist wrote, I meditate upon your word day and night. I need that word alive in me. It's that replacement. It's getting it in us. It's, we can never read the Bible enough. Pour it into us talking about it. Second Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. You want to you have the breath of God in your life? Read and meditate and memorize the Bible. 
it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we may be competent, equipped with every good work. Joshua said, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. In 2 Corinthians, you know, we're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not, God, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts, and we teach them to obey Christ. There's this pouring in, this putting into our life. Every day when we wake up, we need to be looking to the Bible before we look to Facebook. Now, I have Facebook, I have Instagram, but those aren't my sources of truth. We need God's word into us. And I know I've gotten a little bit long today, but I didn't want this opportunity to pass without giving some practical advice of how do we help others that are going through a difficult time? Mental illness is on the rise. We are so tired. And COVID has exposed so many things. If there was an addiction there, it came out. If there, was, if there was a kink in the armor, it got exposed for all of us. The pastor I referenced earlier, Pastor Chris Hodges, he, he wrote this, this great book called uh, Coming Out of the Cave. <laughs> and it's from personal experience. And it's a book that he researched for a long time before he wrote it. And going through COVID, he hit a hard time that his story is in there. I encourage you to read it. But here's what he said. He said, God never condemns. Listen to this. God never condemns. You want a reason to give thanks to the Lord? He never condemns. Here's what he said. He said, condemnation means you've got a problem and there's no way out. (laughs) That's what condemn. Isn't that a great explanation, description of that? But here's, here's what God does. He convicts us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Conviction, on the other hand, says you've got a problem because you can't ignore your problems, right? It's not about putting your head in the sand and saying there's no problems, it's all good, it's all good. Conviction says you've got a problem, but here's the way out. It's the es- he says this is the essence of the gospel. We need to confront and acknowledge the problems that we have But conviction says there is a way out of this. So just some very practical things. And he has this list. Having having gone through it personally and having experienced things, I I think some of us may have experienced this. Here's a list of things not to do for someone who is going through depression. These are from Pastor Chris Hodges. Things not to do. Okay? Okay. So if someone's going through depression, don't go to them and say, just, just try harder. Just try harder. How many someone's ever said that to you? And you just kind of went, ugh. He says, don't, he says, don't over-spiritualize it, meaning, you know, if you were a good enough Christian, if you just read enough, if you just prayed enough, you wouldn't have any problems. Don't say that. Don't deflect. Don't minimize saying, it's not that bad. Right? You got a broken elbow? This person over here has a broken leg. What are you crying about, Pastor Dwayne? Uh, that's not a time to come in and criticize. Don't compare. Don't be dismissive. Don't be redirecting. And don't be reducing, right? Someone's going through depression. Don't, he says, don't go up and just say, just stop thinking about it. He's heard those things, right? 
So none of you are going to do that, right? <laughs> here's, here's what does help someone who's going through anxiety and depression. Again, these are from him going through. He says, first of all, what helps? Committing. Committing is walking to someone going through and say, I'm here with you. I'm right here. I'm ready to listen or just to be with you. Does that soothe your soul, right? I'm not here as Pastor Dwayne with all the great advice. Man of God, fill with the power for the hour. We're going to fix it right now. No, I'm here. I'm right here. I'm ready to listen to you. And then he says, be connecting, meaning I care about you and you're not alone. You're not alone in this. Be accepting of them. Be accepting. He says, be encouraging. He said, what helped them was when someone said, God is working your life. You know, we're going to trust him even when we can't see him. Listening. I want to listen and understand what you're going through. Supporting. Again, we're going to get through this together. Be trustworthy means that I promise to keep this confidential. Don't share that prayer request on Facebook or Instagram. Pastor Dwayne's messed up and going through things. Please pray for him, but don't tell anybody. I've seen that. You laugh, but I've... And you, you're laughing because you've seen it too. Right. Don't do that. That's why I asked Pastor Steve, can I share your prayer request today? And he said, yes. Now, it's good to share, but always, always ask. Is this just for you and me, or do you feel comfortable sharing it? Is this your story to tell, or do, would you like for me to help here? And then giving hope, telling somebody, this is not a dead end. This is not the end of things. God has so much more, but we're going to get through it. How many of you need to hear that today? You're like, boy, whether you're going through it or whether you're walking with someone who's going through it, God is equipping us. This is a great book. I've read so many others. It's part of that putting in, going, Lord, how I'm walking through this. What do I do? How can I help others? If you don't know what to say, know what you should say. Nothing. When someone's hurting, don't make stuff up. And be honest, you know what? <sighs> I don't know what to say, except I'm, I'm here and I love you. I'm with you. That's so freeing. So as we wrap this up today, again, the, all these questions are in the Church Center app, but ask, ask yourself that as it relates to this transformation process, where, where are you struggling today? Ask yourself, where am I struggling today? Am I struggling with surrender? <laughs> and just ask yourself in this moment, just close your eyes and say, you know, God, reveal to me, is there something that I think, I may think I've surrendered, but I haven't. What are the parts of my life that I'm, I'm not ready to give up yet? Is it guarding? Do you need help in guarding, making that covenant with your eyes? There's even software called Covenant Eyes for that very purpose. And this may be something where the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you and say, it's time to cancel that subscription. It's time to shut this down. It's time to pull this out. Could be for a season, could be forever. 
What good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Is it pouring in? Are you struggling at pouring in all those things we talked about? Being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the power of God's word. You're being questioned at work. Which is meant to strengthen you. If someone asks you a question at work and you don't know the answer, say, you know what? I don't know. Can I get back to you on that? And guess what you're going to do? That You're going to study. You're going to pour in. Do you know how strengthening that's been for me? When, when people ask me questions I don't know, I get stronger unless I try to make it up because I want to look like the, like the genius in the world, in the room. You need to be willing to say, you know, I don't know, but let me get back to you. I'm going to talk to some people. I'm going to I'm going to call my pastor or my professor or my friend who reads a lot about this or I'm going to bring it to my group. I'm going to... Where are you struggling today? Where do you need help? Just take a moment. Let me encourage you just in, in this moment just to allow the Holy Spirit to sweep through you. The mind is so important. It's the battleground. Where everyone's being attacked. Every mind in the world is being fought for. And it's being openly fought for. The gloves are off. <laughs> it's not even a secret anymore. Where are you struggling? Where do you need help? You may even want to write these things down. Amen. Allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Move through us, Lord. Jesus, I thank you because you never shame us. You never, you don't condemn us. You even said that you didn't come to condemn the world. You came to set the world free. Lord, help us to walk in freedom as we turn to you. Help us to never forget that. Thank you, Lord. Can you just thank the Lord because he's with you? Just receive the, allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. Even this moment, just say, Holy Spirit, fill my life, flood through my life. Wash through my heart, wash through my mind. Cleanse me and fill me. Thank him for the newness of life. Thank him for the new creation. Thank him that in the midst of everything, Lord, you are there, you are here with us. So, Lord, transform our minds as that act of worship, as we surrender everything to you, Lord. Transform us, renew us, and, Lord, empower us. Give us strength, Lord, to, to, to guard our hearts and our mind by the strength you afford us. But also, Lord, fill us. Fill us with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Fill us with your word. Fill us with your voice. Lord, strip aside anything that detracts us from your voice. Lord, let that be silenced in Jesus' name. Show us the things that we're allowing in that are distracting us. And then give us the, th the, the strength and to surrender to you. And to take the actions you've called us to do. To renew our minds. And we give you thanks for all you've done. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the one who made us, redeemed us, and loves us. Everyone said together? Amen, amen. This is our benediction. Let's say this together. 
as we go and live for Jesus. This is our benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 